Hey team, welcome to another episode of the Intentional Agribusiness Leader Podcast. The podcast where we actually explore the minds of leaders from all around the agriculture and agribusiness space about what it takes to lead intentionally in this industry today. My friends, if there's some value in here for you today, we ask you to subscribe to the podcast, share this with someone who needs to hear the message of what it takes to be intentional. Let's get into the show. Kip, I am super glad to have you on this podcast. I've been looking forward to this uh, since I first reached out here a little over a month ago. Really excited to dive into this. So I'm going to give. I'm going to open up with the, the same question everybody gets at the open, which is, what does intention mean to you? Um, so first, Mark, glad to be here with you. I think you do great things with leaders across ag. Um, intentional to me is is now at the end of my career how I run my life and how I um, start every day. Um, intentional to me is a rule of three. The, the things come in rules of three because the mind can't remember more than three things, right? So um, first, you know, intentional is is right only if it's the right focus. If you have intention on the wrong thing, it's it might be intentional, but it doesn't matter, right? So being intentional on the right things. Um, I went to work originally for Pioneer and Pioneer, had this great thing that they did with every single person their first day of work. I did it twice as an intern and once on my first day joining out of college, and it was called the long look. That's an intentional statement. We might call those mission visions, but it's intention. What does the company stand for? Um, Intention starts at the top, goes down, and comes back up, Mm. right? Leaders must be intentional, must speak about it. Um, And that's the only way you really meet and consistently meet customer needs and employees' needs from an intentional standpoint. Um, I'll give you a wrong focus for intention. I got I got out of college, and my intention was to be the CEO of Pioneer Hybrid. Okay. Love Great it. intention. Got up every morning that, told every single person I worked with, worked for, worked beside. That was a wrong intention. Mm. I wasn't very well liked from that perspective. <laughs> It's like, who the heck does he think he is at 22 years old thinking that? Right. But that was my intention. That was my compass. So I only share that to say, pick the right intentions, mm-hmm. major in the right intentions, and think about the right things. Um, I became a I became a CEO, not of Pioneer by age 40, but uh, but but a company I founded called Direct Ag at age 40. So intentions are good, but just make sure they're the right things and uh Having a long look is a good idea, but uh, measuring and, and being correct, I think, is really, really important. Who does yeah. your attention matter to? It's got to matter to more than you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, so question not on the list today, but I, since you brought it up, if you were to go back and advise your 22-year-old self now, what intention would you advise him to have? Uh, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Uh, Listen. Mm-hmm. Listen, ask questions, and then share. Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> you know, kick in the door. Hey, I got the answer. Um, I think that is, uh, you know, that is one of those items that I would tell, and I do tell young people. Right? Mm-hmm. Go, go seek out leaders like Mark. Uh, go talk to a Mark Jewell. Go ask questions of Mark Jewell. Listen to Mark Jewell. Though that's the way you get better. Right? 
and right. and then you will have a lot more to offer than the 22 year old you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I love it. I think I think that's a, that's fantastic. And you know, what, so one of the pillars that we teach on around this idea of intention is is, is having intentional clarity, yep. being intentional to sit back and think about what not only not just what do i want right to have a specific title in a specific role or a specific amount of money or whatever i think all those are fine from a goal perspective but what is that really about yeah right so who do you be in that role cuz you could be that in all roles in life right in inside and outside of work yeah a greater intention my intention is helping leaders feed the world mm. that is my full life mission that is my intention I say yes to things that fit in that. I say no to things that don't, right? But that intention is is my drive. And also, you know, where I think I can help people most from the perspective of coaching or sharing or advising from that standpoint. Yeah, wonderful. Well, Kip, I don't know if I personally know too many people other than you that have the level of expert, not only expertise, but... Uh, kind of vantage point on a lot of different organizations have been involved in different organizations, have, in, have advised many different organizations. You've got a wealth of experience in that arena. So what I think you and I both know that a lot of companies in agribusiness today are struggling with talent retention. It's one of the number one things, problems that my customers bring to me is like, I'm just sick of the turnover, right? Yeah. So um, what uh, what are you guys doing at, at your bioscience to uh, to to retain talent and maybe we can learn some lessons yeah. from what you guys are practicing um, there? You know, one of the one of the things I've learned is there's never enough great people. Great people build great organizations. Mm-hmm. Helping good people move to great people is something you have to do as an organization. So so what we do at Yord and and uh, we bat way above our. Uh, our size for the talent that we have and the talent that we're retaining. And, and it starts all in, in how we form a first job description. We're looking for this type of person. And then when we start the discussion with that type of person, we share, we're trying to change the world. We share what we're doing is never been done before. We share what we're doing is needed for a sustainable regenerative agriculture. There are some people, Mark, that their eyes glaze over and they don't get that. There are other people that just totally come alive yeah. because it's purpose. It's intentional for them. It is it is meaningful work. Retention is tied to meaningful work. Retention is tied to purposefulness, right? You, you go to a barbecue in the summer and you're with your family or your friends. It's like, hey, what do you do? Let me tell you what I do. And at your bioscience, our teams, because I've been in different situations when they proudly tell the story because they're part of the story, they believe the story, they're delivering on that mission. So it starts in the interview process. Um, it, it, day one of an employee, we bring all of our employees together and we say, hey, Mark is joining the team. Mark presents a single slide of who, who I am and talks mm-hmm. about himself. Everyone on our team then does the same thing. And each time we have a new employee, you have to change or update your slides so everybody learns a little bit more about the person, right? Um, From that standpoint, though, we really want people to come in and say, this is what matters to me and and build off of that. And also, it it allows us to be more than just an employer. It allows us to be part of a team culture and growing from that standpoint. One of the things I, I will share is we're very purposeful about this is what we need you to do. And this is what we have. Um, 
employees opt in and employees opt out, right? And, and sometimes jobs change and sometimes we grow, right? Um, we proudly graduate individuals. We've got a lot of people that are going back for their PhDs because they've, they've become excited about what they're doing. And so the idea of retention starts with who are you as an employer? And it starts with, okay, I understand you have that job. Why have you had five people turn over in that job? Maybe you need to redefine that job. Maybe you need to really redefine what your company's doing. Or maybe you need to redefine, you're not boss, you're coach. And if you are a coach, and if you're growing a person every day, and you're nurturing a person, and you're coaching and or counseling, you know, Mark, one of the worst things to me is meeting somebody late in their career that nobody ever grew them. Nobody ever said, hey, Mark. You got to return phone calls. Hey, Mark, those emails that are piling up in your, that's not, that's not fair. Hey, hey, uh, Mark, you can't stay out all night and do this job. Mm -hmm. If somebody had done that consistently throughout their career, you'd have a better individual. You would have an individual that it's employable still post 50, mm -hmm. right? From that perspective. And so one of my greatest, uh, I guess, missions or intentions is make sure you're honestly communicating with individuals, make sure you're helping them be the best they can be because they'll never have a problem getting a great job and they'll do great, great work for you. Yeah. Wow. I, so I, I want to take some time and unpack all that Kip, because this is, there are a bunch of nuggets and I'm not even going to hit them all. So if you're driving down the road, listening to this right now, or taking this in while you're on the treadmill, like probably just rewind about five minutes <laughs> and just re-listen to everything that Kip just shared, because there's a bunch of good stuff. So number one, there's never enough great people. There's never enough. What is the, what is the spirit of that for you? Where does that come from? It's a 2080 rule, mm -hmm. right? The 2080 rule, 20% of, of people produce 80% of results. Those are the great people. Yeah. So if there's only 20%, you got another 80%, your job as a leader, your job as an employer is how do I grow more of those people? Because I'm going to lose some of those 20% or I'm going to graduate some of them or they're going to opt out. Um, and so that you know, that's basic statistics. You don't need AI. You don't need chat GDPT to say, hey, <laughs> you know, um, that's just a fact. Yeah. I, I, tell, I tell the same thing to the sales teams that we work with. We don't do a lot of sales training anymore. We do more mindset training for salespeople. And one of the biggest issues that they come to us with is feeling unbalanced, not enough. You know, they, they dedicate all their time and peace and sleep to their customers, not enough to themselves, them families, their teams, et cetera. Right. Yep. And, uh, and so we, I, we just, we go through an exercise and we challenge them to look at their customers. Let's say they've got 50 customers that they service over the course of a year and then look at the revenue that comes from each one of those customers. And then, so who gets the most time? Well, it's usually the 80% that are not driving as much revenue that most of the revenue, 80% of the revenue generally comes from that top 20% of their customers, especially in ag retail. I found this to be true across, across multiple, multiple industries, but that's, that's the challenge like that 80, 20 rule. And like, well, there's just never enough great customers. Yeah. <laughs> I can apply that to the same space, right? I think every sale, if you have salespeople listening to this, the mindset that I, I learned early in my career and I share with everyone is what you want to be as a salesperson is a sustaining resource. Mm -hmm. Hey, Mark, we're thinking about growing our business. Hey, Mark, somebody's approached us. We could buy their business. Hey, Mark, 
you want to be, as a salesperson, engaged in that discussion. You don't want to be saying, hey, Mark, I need you to order X. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, not, that's not the discussion you want. So being a sustaining resource is one of the other things you mentioned, being a part of a team. Mm-hmm. So basic team theory, one of the things we practice when we hire a new employee is we tell every employee, okay, team theory says you're going to go back to formation with every single new person, right? The team is different now. So you have to go through four stages of team theory. So if you're part of a team or building a team, first step is formation. Ste- mm-hmm. Second step is, um, you know, kind of uh, an approach where you're storming. Mm-hmm. Mark, that's a crazy idea. Why would we do that? Yep. You, have to, you have to listen to Mark and Mark has to listen to Kip and you have to solve it. So storming. And then you norm. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mark, let's do that. And the last thing then is performing. If you never go through those stages, A, because you're turning over employees too fast, or B, you're not really leading customers, um, team theory allows you to have a great, fast-moving team because everybody's everybody is producing on that same set of norms. Yeah. Yeah, I I love it, and we we teach the same thing. We we use that uh, that four stages of the team, and one thing I really emphasize a lot with leaders is do not try to skip the storm. Right? Yeah. Nobody wants to have the conflict. Right? We have to do all this training around how to how to have difficult conversations, how to have coaching conversations. And, and we don't want to have that storming moment with as we're developing a new person or as we're developing the team yet, right? It's like the, the sword is refined in the fire and, and we can't l- learn to use the sword until we get it. At, you know, we can't get that norming phase where we start to learn how to use it unless it first is going to hold together, right? When we, when we get to go use it. I love it. I love it. One of my, uh, one of my, uh, Lifelong lessons I learned. I went and looked at some Pioneer 3732. It was all purple. It was barely coming out of the ground and a really big farmer. And he was giving me hell. And I was, I was wrong. I was trying to s- explain to him. Instead, you got to let them dump their bucket. Mm-hmm. You got to let them storm. And one of the things I've learned is you got to say, so is there anything else? What else do I need to know? You got to say that six times. Yeah. If, if you do that, People are cleansed. Their blood pressure goes down. They can breathe. They can go, this Mark is different. I like Mark. Mark's listening to me. Mark wants to solve my problem. And so whether it's team theory or whether it's dealing with a customer, let them dump because until you do, it's still toxic inside. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned it, during the uh, when when you bring somebody new in, uh, you said you uh, you have a ninety day probation period. Yep. So t- talk us through that. You know, one of the questions I had about that is like, is that long enough? You know, to really know have we, if we have, what do we have to do for that to be the right amount of time? I think that's about the right amount of time in theory, right? But when the app actual application comes, I know for me as a leader, I'm like, okay, well, was I clear enough on setting expectations for us to make a decision on whether this person should stay or go after just one quarter? You know, did we do our job right? And that's, you know, that's some of the intention from a leader, but I'm just curious on your thoughts. Great question. So what it's forced us to do is 90 days isn't very long, Yeah. right? So what's the onboarding process? How do they do in the onboarding process? What's their ability to take initiative? What's their ability to engage? What's their ability to get along with others? What's their, you know, a lot of them are soft skills as much as, um, you know, uh, real talented scientific skills, which we value at Yord from that standpoint. But a lot of them are soft. 
You got to be able to work within the team. You got to be able to say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. I think we should do this. That's what we're looking for is that inertia. And if, if you don't have that, you're kind of holding a seat on the bus that we really need, right? We need, and we're offering the opportunity for people to make an amazing contribution, right? So I think it's really important in a 90-day probation. In that 90-day probation, we're talking about the onboarding. We're talking about things with them. And, you know, most everybody passes the probation, but we're really um, intentional mm -hmm. about a probationary period. We're really more intentional about an onboarding process, right? And we're intentional about where that leads. At the end of 90 days, we, we have a pretty good sense of the ceiling that that person can go to and more the desire of what they want to do. And we've accelerated them being a part of our future because in that 90 days, we've engaged them on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And thank you for diving in a little bit deeper on that because you know, I, I just think about it this way is that as, as the leader, right, as the founder, the business owner, the team leader, whatever, now it becomes incumbent upon me to be really intentional in curating that process so that we give that person a fair shot in that 90 days, right? It's not, it's not just bring them on, give them the, you know, throw them the keys to, to whatever, or give them a laptop and say, Hey, go produce, right? There has to be some intention to that process, but knowing what you're actually measuring and looking for in that 90 days and make sure that that's clear to both you and them. And, and now it's actually, and then give them a little bit of training or whatever, but now it's actually fair. And I, and I love that. I love that approach. And, and what you also learn if you're really engaged in that mm -hmm. is you're, you're spending more of your time saying, boy, Mark. Fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Positive coaching and affirmation, right? Mm -hmm. What we want to do is allow them to have fun. We don't want them working. We want them unlocking big secrets. We want them to follow a process, but we want them to see in the process, hey, this is the one. This is the opportunity. And if they're having fun and, and looking at it that way, um, great results happen a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Um, wow. So uh, I, want, I want to keep moving because there's so much here that we could, uh, so, so many more secrets you can help us unlock here today, Kip. So <laughs> uh, in, in the essence of time, I'll move it along. But so talk to us about the difference between effective or ineffective culture. Yeah. So first of all, every single business has a culture. You can't change culture. You can evolve culture. So as you come in as a new leader or as you join a company, you need to understand there is a culture here, right? Often I see new leaders, leaders come in and say, we're going to rebuild the culture here. And my comment is you're going to evolve the culture. You can't, you can't do that. So an ineffective culture is culture that just happens. Mm -hmm. Effective culture is managed, is curated, is evolved for what you need to do, is evolved for the time. We, we all just went through COVID. Oh my gosh. Culture was reformed in every single company, right? We saw the things we stood for, but since we weren't together in the same room, you had to do it differently. So culture change, culture is still changing post COVID mm -hmm. because we're not going back to offices necessarily, right? Or full time back to offices. So that's an example of effective and ineffective culture. Culture can be what you want it to be, but you can't declare it. You have to evolve it. The employees make up the culture. The team makes up the culture. 
defining what you are is, hey, team, what's important to us? What's our mission, vision, values? What are our objectives that we're trying to change? What do you love that we do? What do you hate that we do? What should we change? We're very transparent on our budgets. We're very transparent on our spending. We're very transparent on, and it's it's funny because we have a young team and it's a really fun team, but they go, we pay how much for our lab rent? You know, just simple things like sure. that. But what it allows us to do is now they're part of the culture. Yeah. I'm not going to take this for granted. We spend 30% of our budget or 20% of our budget on this thing. And mm-hmm. so culture, culture is what you want to do. If you want to have culture, you know, uh, under a lid, quiet, don't tell them anything, whatever, you will have a culture that waits for you to tell them everything. Mm-hmm. Cultures that are powerful mm-hmm. are cultures that are growing and evolving and saying, hey, Mark, you know what we should do now? Yeah, I I, I love it because as you were starting to talk about that and you clarified it, but one of the questions I was that, that I always have and that I think leaders struggle with is, is it, is culture dictated or is it developed? Right. And, and you're, and what you're speaking to, I think is more the developing side. Like somebody has to facilitate that from a leadership perspective, but we're, we're incorporating people into the conversation and helping evolve the culture over time. And I think often culture is you know, the, the reason, you know, sometimes I call it kind of a buzzword is because it, there's a buzz about it at the beginning or maybe once a year or, or, or whenever things go wrong. Hey, we got to improve the culture. We got to do something about it. But then the buzz kind of dies down because there's other priorities. Yeah. If it that, doesn't get developed. I mean, if it's a, if it's a campaign, it fails. Mm. So from, from the beginning of time, we've been a part of tribes. We don't use the term tribes anymore. Now we're teams, right? Mm-hmm. We're organizations. And culture follows that, right? Um, and we all bring in a, in a mobile um, economy and a mobile um, workplace, we all bring culture things that we like and culture things that we expect, but you can't be everything to everybody, right? You have to say, this is what we're going to do. And intentionally talk about here is our culture. Here's what we value. Here's what we expect as you as an employee. Here's what we expect of the leaders that interface with you. Yeah. And, and that's what you just said is in integrity with something you said at the opening, uh, which, which is about sharing the vision. Right. Yep. Hey, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. This is the impact. This is the influence. Great. Cool. Here's the culture that's going to back that up and help us to curate that. Right. And really make that be true. And then you're, you're backing it up with things like this and this. And I want to make this point um, because for, for, for those people listening, because this really does take an intentional leader to be able to do this. You're talking about sharing transparently. Here's the budgets. This is how much we spend on this. This is how much goes into that. There's a great book called The Great Game of Business, uh, where one of the things I remember learning, I think it was actually about a, a, a case IH manufacturing plant. The guy took it over and turned this thing around. And one of the things they did is help. They literally trained their people, everybody from the top down, how to read a P&L. Yep. And then exactly how their role impacts the PL. Yep. Right. So that they're they're aware, like, hey, when I'm doing my job and I'm doing my job well, like that makes this thing look better or makes this thing look worse. And and how much it impacts. And so the the, the point that I would love for people to really understand is just how how do we understand how do we become even more intentional? How do we work uh, less in the business as leaders and more? on the business. Because Kip, what I see a lot of are people that are are burned out, they're spinning their wheels, they're struggling in these leadership roles to really have the capacity 
mentally, physically, emotionally, from a time management standpoint to truly be that intentional, right? And, and I thought you would be a really relevant person on this. I haven't asked anybody else this question. Um, I was looking through your LinkedIn. Some, you know, several people have described you as very, you know, high energy, uh, you know, just, I mean, really intentional in your approach. So I don't think that, I don't think that's an accident. <laughs> so I, well, what are, yeah. yeah. I, so I, I will, sh- I will share, I, you are a product of your history. And if you are a leader and a coach, you are changing people's lives every day. And a hockey coach at Wisconsin, his name is Bob Johnson. He'd walk in every single day to the locker room and say, it's a great day for hockey. We could have a blizzard going on. We could have a rainstorm going on. We could have just lost. We could have just won. But every day was a great day. If you arrive as the leader with energy of we are changing the world, we are feeding the world, we are helping people do things, man, that is so contagious. I want, I want to give one, um, one you know, kind of current. So people listening to podcasts are also streaming things, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to recommend a series, which I think is the epitome of leadership and the epitome of intentional. It's called The Bear. The Bear, it's on Hulu and FX. It's about this family that has this. I'm, I'm originally from Illinois, so I know Chicago really well. Chicago has Italian beef sandwiches. So this family owns a restaurant called The Beef, Right. And it makes Italian beef sandwiches really good. And through it, though, the family changes and the dynamics and the team. And season one is, oh, my gosh, how do we survive? Season two is, here is our purpose. Here is what we intentionally are going to be. So I recommend that to anyone listening to this podcast. Watch the bear and be that kind of leader and engage your employees to be like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. Great recommendation. And thank you for the recommendation because that gives people an opportunity to go deeper, right? Outside the podcast and listen, uh, you know, listen to another uh, another set of resources. So that's cool. All right. So uh, for, for, for you, Kip, what's been the biggest hurdle that you've, you've had to overcome as a leader during your career? Um, so uh, I love chaos. And, and that's probably my differentiating advantage. I hate disorganization. So I can live in chaos, but I like to organize things. So as a result of that, I've been a part of 39 different mergers and acquisitions. And I learn how to say, okay, we've got to go from A to double Z. I'm not very good at each of those stack blocks or block stacking, but I'm good at saying to people, Mark, let's figure out what A through G is, right? And let's go deep on that. Tell me what you find from that standpoint. You know, the, the biggest hurdle in that though, and, and we're guilty of this in agriculture, we're always going to have mergers and acquisitions because we are a cost-driven industry, right? And as long as we're a commodity-driven, cost-driven industry, we will continue to cut expenses by merging and, and um, doing that. The hardest thing in that, though, is um, when you merge organizations, there are great people and there are good people, but there's not enough spots for all the good people. And there's certainly not enough spots for the average people. Mm-hmm. So the toughest thing for me is going into those organizations and saying, Kip doesn't make the team. Mark makes the team. Mark's going to be this in the role. Kip's not going to be that. Mm-hmm. And part of it is a hurdle of, again, you're taking on people that somebody else didn't lead correctly mm-hmm. or somebody didn't have a good culture there. So what you see is, people that are angry, people that are really just frustrated in their job, 
And unfortunately, that shows. If you don't, if you're not happy in what you're doing, it shows. You may think you're masking that, but you're not, right? And your family sees that, your workers see that, your employees that you manage see that. And so the greatest thing I would say is, uh, and, and it's a driver for me, is how do you help people have a great full career and continually grow? That's been the biggest hurdle for me is managing all the mergers and acquisitions that I've been a part of. I've met great people and we've built great organizations, but also some people didn't get to move to the next level of the greater organization. That's mm, tough. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic share. Thank you. So what has been your biggest win then as a leader? Um, so I, I got to go to my rule of three, right? I, I can never say one thing, sure. right? Um, <laughs> th- 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 um, you know, first five-time CEO, I've been, I've been blessed and I've been involved in a lot of things over my 40-year career, um, you know, building some diverse companies and be a part of diverse companies and diverse technologies from that standpoint. Um, first, the seed transformation I've seen since 1981, when I came into the industry, they were talking about a $48 bag of corn. How would anybody ever pay for a $48 bag of corn? Today, mm. you know, a bag of corn is $450 or, or more, maybe depending on its uh, uh, stack traits uh, from that standpoint as technology. But today, seed is not a commodity. Seed today drives every decision on a field. It drives every decision on the farm. And so that evolution, that's been an amazing something to participate in. And I, I really enjoyed it. The other thing that I think we're early in, and it will happen before I die, but not before I leave the industry, mm-hmm. is data insights. Mm-hmm. We produce in agriculture an amazing amount of information. We are really lousy at utilizing that. We mm-hmm. are really lousy at unharness- or harnessing that and utilizing that. And in a commodity-driven, cost-driven, we need to get better at that. If we would share our information, if we would unlock our information, everybody wins. Today, we've got walled gardens with companies and we've got individuals that say, I'm not going to share it. It's kind of like, I can't tell my employees about our financials. Mm. Why? If I told people about my business, wouldn't they be able to help my business better? Right. So data insights is an area that I've been a part of. And I, I think what's amazing and what's what's amazing is is still in front of us. The the other thing that's just starting, uh, and I think it's our next evolution of agriculture, it's digital biology. So this ability to look at uh, items with machine learning, this ability to unlock what's in the, uh, what's in genetic microbials, what's in soil, what's, and put those together in concert. Digital biology, you know, kind of Moore's law of the chip, Mm -hmm. be faster and cheaper over time. Everything we do with digital biology is rolling off of everything we've learned in um, seed uh, DNA and understanding and mapping it. Now we're able to apply that to other areas faster, cheaper, better. Um, So digital biology is going to be the next phase. I I laughingly talk to some people sometimes that they go, you know, biologicals kept, we're, we're just not selling biologicals yet. And I go, okay, it's the future. And you need to be aware of them and you need to make sure you lead your customers into that option because if you don't, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And you understand the chemicals that you love to sell, they're not going to keep selling those or you're not going to be able to afford to keep selling those because they're going to go off patent mm-hmm. and it costs too much to bring a new uh, molecule forward. And the regulatory time frame of 17 years, 
versus a biological, you have to think through that. So those are three things I'm really excited about that I've played yeah. a role in, I've touched, but man, I can't wait to cheer from the sidelines and see the next 20 years of what happens in the industry because it will only accelerate. Yeah, And it will accelerate for those people who say, we're going to use information. We're going to understand biologicals. We're going to be sustainable. Those are trends that people need to figure out how to do it, even if they don't know how to do it today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, fascinating. And just such a fascinating history and such great perspectives. I want to talk a little bit more about um, this this concept around data and, and like the not sharing. What, what I mean, I guess there's a human aspect to this. You know, we don't want we don't want our neighbor to see what's going on on our side of the fence, and we're protective, you know, of that. What, what do you think just drives when it seems like if you're if you're looking at like what do we want the public to know about us? We would want the public to think that we're doing everything that we can, right, to move the, the ball forward to feed the world. Yeah. But I don't know that we're really in, in integrity with that if we're not willing to really go all in and help each other. Yeah. I mean, really, maybe that's a bold statement, but I mean, I, I think that's, I'm yeah. calling us on our integrity a little bit. So, so you run peer groups. Mm -hmm. You have peer groups where people sit like that mm -hmm. with their arms crossed and, and they listen and they don't share. Or they just give you really negative um, physical um, emotions, right? Or you have the others that go, oh my gosh, Kip, thanks for sharing that. And, and let me tell you about one of my experiences. Which group advances over the six months you coach them as a peer group? Mm -hmm. You go to Argentina. Argentina is very different than the U.S. Argentina, they have peer groups of farmers. They bring their agronomists together. They bring all their financials together. They share everything they're doing. Not because they're competing with the person next to them, but that they're advancing the market that they're advancing the whole of Argentinian agriculture. We need more of that. Uh, you know, Danny Kleinfelter just passed away. Mm -hmm. um, what he did at, uh, and, at Texas A&M was amazing. It was a really great program. We don't do enough of that in agriculture, sharing best practices, sharing information, sharing, you know, uh, information starts with, hey, I think the data is saying this. And then everybody collectively looking at that saying, absolutely, it's saying that. And that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's something to think about. Again, you know, God bless America. You can do whatever you want, right? right. I think people that are advancing are the people that know the most, most, ask the most, and are continually looking for, what are you doing? What are you learning? So, again, I, I there is a privacy. And I, I totally support privacy, but I also believe in you learn fast together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I want to just piggyback on a little bit of what you're saying and, and just share from, from experience. So for the last seven years, I've been leading a group called the Ag Leaders Summit. Yeah. This is a mastermind of people of positional authority in agribusiness. Uh, probably about three quarters of the group is ag retail, a um, couple uh, like a, you know, more some on the commodity side, some on the grain side, independent retailers, um, mostly VP and CEO level. Okay. Some of these guys have been in this group now for six years. And 
they continue to come back. I think they'll probably listen to this. So you guys can give me feedback, but <laughs> they continue to come back because there's nowhere else in the industry that they can be vulnerable and just be who they are and share what's going on. A lot of the challenges that we tackle are personal challenges or health challenges or leadership challenges. Or yesterday we had an hour long discussion that's going to continue and be, become a series for us now, just discussing how do we cha- uh, tackle some of these talent things that are, you know, that are coming up in their organizations and how do we do a better job keeping people? And and so our conversation today is timely for on, on the heels of that conversation, but the group sticks together and guys tend to stay with it because they almost get the healing that they need in an, in an environment where they're actually sharing the real challenges. And, and so I'm just seeing these guys have advanced that they are not, I am not who, who I was even as being a, the leader of this group or the, the facilitator, I guess, of this group. Uh, we're not the same people we were five or six years ago. We, we have advanced our, our health, our relationships, our businesses, everything has grown in, in, in part as a result of just, Hey, knowing that I'm not the only one that has this challenge. I, Hey, I, first of all, I love masterminds. If you're a CEO or a leader, you mm-hmm. have to be a mastermind. Your job is to identify the majors and major in the major. And your job is also to stay in front of your teams. Your job is to stay in front of your customers. Your job is to make sure you understand your customers' problems so that you can solve them. Yeah. 100%. Okay. A uh, little bit of a speed round as we bring this in for a landing kip. I would I would love to literally go deeper on every single one of these questions and the and the respect of your time and everybody else listening. We're gonna just kind of do a little bit of a uh speed round here at the end. So what do you do to keep your energy up? Um, so first of all, you gotta be outside with nature. Mm-hmm. God God's built an amazing world. And if you're out there, you just recharge your batteries. I don't know if it has anything to do with solar energy, but get outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get outside. Um I'm, I'm active with my wife um, and we do, you know, pickleball, we do golf, we go hiking, we do biking. Um, for me, that does my energy. The other thing is I'm involved in a few different groups that I volunteer in. Volunteerism is pay, pays you back far more than you ever invest. The more you give, the more you get. Yeah. Well, perfect. Love it. Uh, how, uh, how, how, any tips for prioritizing your day, <clears throat> excuse me, prioritizing your day for maximum productivity? How do you stay um, on top of it all? Yeah. So I, you know, as leaders, we have five-year plans. We have one-year plans. We have quarterly plans. We have monthly plans. We have weekly plans. I prioritize my day based on looking, you know, big picture down, right? Because otherwise if I don't, I'm like, oh, I got a to-do list. I don't want a to-do list. I want a project initiation, a project update, a project result of next project. So I think about things that way. And I try to help our teams think about things that way. Because if you're only doing, oh, we got to do, you you become a firefighter. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to put this fire out. Oh, I got to answer that email. Oh, I got a meeting to go to. And I don't have time at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Be a fire fighter in the way that firefighters work today. And that's being a preventer. Mm-hmm. What do we got to do? When do we need to do it? Who can do that? How do we manage this? You want less fires, not more fires. And so that would be my advice is if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, look in the mirror. It's your job to organize and your job to major in the major. And if you're feeling stressed and organized, that's transferring to your team. That's transferring to your customers. 
And ultimately they'll go, I can't take any more Kip. He's just bitch, 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 complain, complain, complain. Mm -hmm. And we don't even realize it. So stay productive because if you don't, you won't get an opportunity to be productive with anybody that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. Such a great answer. Okay. What, if we could link a book in the show notes that people should go, they can go to Amazon and, and buy it today. What, uh, what book should they be reading? So it depends what, you know, what you're doing. Um, I have a great book by Mark Vincent. It's a very consultative driven process driven book. It's called listening, helping and learning by Dr. Mark Vincent. He's a coach like you. Um, I think it's excellent. Mega threats is another one. The other one that you should all read and you should give to your kids is Atomic Habits. Mm. It's getting 1% better every single day. Atomic Habits. And I learned about it from my 20-something kids. Oh my gosh, dad, you got to get Atomic Habits. It's it's how you think. It's what you do. And it's like, never heard of it. Now I give it to everybody. <laughs> you know, from that standpoint, uh, James Cleary, in my mind, or James Clear, is an amazing um productivity leader, uh, and in great, inspiring atomic habits. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Uh, two, two more questions. Okay. How, how important to you is vulnerability and being able to create a great working environment? Um, I think it's really key. You got, and, and I would call vulnerability, authenticity or genuineness, right? Um, all of us who are leaders or CEOs, we put on this armor and right we have this ego and we know everything the reality is we are much better when we say i don't know what do you think mark Mm -hmm. you know vulnerability is engaging others who may not know um but i think it's it's really key my the the life-changing um coach for me was a guy by the name of don jacoby I used to arrive at work every morning at 645 because Don would be at his desk at 650. And I come in, Don, I got a great idea. And Don would ask two or three questions. And about by the third question, I go, oh, I am so stupid. Don, let me get back to you. I got, I'll I'll work on this, right? Mm -hmm. Don could have easily said, Kip, quit coming in here. Quit being stupid. Quit wasting my time. Instead, he was, he allowed me to be vulnerable and he was vulnerable to say, okay, this kid might have something. Let me let me help him. And so being vulnerable versus just saying, stop, you're bugging me. Stop. I don't need more time for you. Because once you send that message, you can't pull it back. Mm-hmm. And we send it lots of ways that we might not even realize we sent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's, there's two sides to the, to the vulnerability there, right? One is <clears throat> opening your calendar up and just being more available to your people. Right. The other side is what you're doing, which is being vulnerable enough to go and say, I don't know how to solve for this. Right. Which I know the biggest lesson I learned about myself in probably in my thirties, I guess, was uh, you, you don't have to have all the answers. You have to be willing to admit that you don't know the answers and then be willing to ask your team or go elsewhere and ask somebody else because that was, I got myself in a lot of trouble in many ways because I, I felt like I had to carry it all on my shoulders and I should know. You, you and I were talking as we started this about, I just keep seeing the same problems. Yeah. Guess what? There are a finite number of problems. There are no new problems. It's how we approach solving them. It's how we engage others to solve them. It's how we share the solution of solving them mm-hmm. that changes our environment and changes our results. Yeah. 
Beautiful. All right, Kip, what, uh, do, what what do we need to know about your bioscience before I let you go today? Uh, how do we get in touch with you or how do we look up more info on the company? So uh, Yord spelled, uh, we're a good Norwegian company. We're spun out of the University of Minnesota. So uh, we we like our Nordic roots. So uh, Yord is pronounced Yord in Norwegian, but maybe like Jord or Ford uh, from the standpoint of uh, US, depending on where you'd be in the US, you might pronounce it Yord or Jord. J-O-R-D, uh, right? But, yeah. yeah, Jord Bioscience. We have a website. We're there. We're active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working with the major companies in agriculture to make their biological products more consistent and more effective. And, and by magnitudes that I have never seen of anything that I've had in my life in agriculture, this is uh, world-changing, game-changing, and most of all, it's a sustainable, regenerative approach that we need to continue to feed the world. Beautiful. I look forward to learning more about it. I want to talk more in depth at some point about the biological space. I think that would be a fantastic conversation for people to listen in on, but thank you for this. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Mark. Good luck to all. I hope today's episode brought you a great deal of value about what it takes to lead life and lead in this industry with intention. If you want to go deeper on the topic of leading with intention, I encourage you to head on over to intentionaltoolbox.com and get the seven free tools that will help you to lead your life in all areas with a greater deal of intention. That's intentionaltoolbox.com. And finally, if, if this message resonated today, if there's something in here that you got value from, I promise you there's someone else in your life who also would get value from this. So please share the episode, share the podcast, and make sure that you subscribe.